Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you're here with us right now. We're so thankful for your love that knows no bounds. Quiet our hearts right now. May we be able to focus on you. Incline our hearts to your word. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. May we get a clearer glimpse of you. The one who makes known to us the path of life. The one whom in your presence there is fullness of joy. There are pleasures forevermore. Those who run after other gods will only find sorrow. But those who seek you will find you and will find all they need. God, may we be able to focus on you. I pray that you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of y'all made bonehead decisions in high school? I know I know, I did. Um, and just a heads up, as we get going, I, I prepared this sermon with graduates specifically in mind, but this is for all of us this morning. I believe God wants to, to speak to us. And another question, if you could relive any season of your life, what would it be? You see, we all have regrets. Some big, some small. And wouldn't it be nice if we could just go back to an, a season of our life we regret and just get a redo? Just get a chance to have a do-over there? I know for me what season of my life I, I wish I could relive. It would be my senior year of high school. I made bonehead decisions and I totally botched what seemed to be at times a promising athletic career um, in high school. I got involved as many young people do. I got involved in a tumultuous dating relationship uh, that was filled with heartbreak and drama and all the typical things those sorts of relationships can be filled with and just made a lot of decisions that I regret. Um, and you know, we all have regrets. And, you know, as I think about wanting to maybe go back or redo some of the things I, I've screwed up in the past, you know, I notice a pattern. A lot of the times where I've made decisions and, and things I regret, a lot of those regrets are connected to idolatry. And that may seem strange to think about, but idolatry, very simply, is putting something or someone in the place of God. Putting someone or something in the place of God. It's devoting our heart's affections and our mind's attention, giving our worship to something else instead of God. And idolatry is a key theme in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today in Exodus 32. The infamous story of the golden calf. 
Chris, this is where we're at in our journey through Exodus. And so the golden calf, perfect graduate Sunday sermon. Um, But I think God has something for us here. Because we may not be tempted to idolize a golden statue of an animal today, but every single one of us is tempted daily, hourly, to put something else in the place only God should have in our lives. In a famous quote, theologian John Calvin, he said, The human heart is a factory of idols. Think about that. Because again, our our hearts may not go to things like golden calves today, but they often go to other things. Money, fame, sex, relationships, competence and skill, the approval of people, secure and comfortable circumstances, sports, entertainment, beauty, brains, success and ambition. And we often replace God with these things, looking for them to give what only God himself can give. Security. Freedom. Peace. Identity. Salvation. And it may seem in the moment like they can give us what we want or need, but... These idols just lead us to dead ends. The things we think these idols will give us, they actually end up taking from us. And I know this is what I experienced my senior year. I put other things ahead of God in my life, and it led me down a road of regret. And I I, I mean, I wish I could stand up here and say I haven't experienced that or struggled with that since my senior year. But the truth is... We are so quickly drawn to idols in our lives. We're so quick to replace God with other things that seem to offer us immediate gratification that can pacify our fears. You see, idols often give us the illusion of control. And graduates and all of us go out into an uncertain future where we're tempted to replace God with Things we can control, things we can see, but the idols we make for ourselves are so fragile. And it's no wonder we're often so afraid and insecure. This morning, I believe there is a better way and there's hope even when our idols fail us and leave us in a heap of regret. And I believe this is what we see from God in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Exodus 32, verse 1, chapter 32, verse 1. And we're going to look at this famous event of the golden calf. Just a little context where we're at in the book of Exodus. If you haven't been following along with us, and if you have, just a good reminder, because this is a big transition in the history of the Exodus. At the beginning of the Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, were in Egypt. And they were crying out to God for rescue from their slavery. And our faithful God heard their cries. And in some of the most dramatic parts of the Old Testament... History In Exodus chapter 5 through 15, God hears the cries of His people and He rescues them by a mighty hand. 
He fulfills his promises to them and God destroys the national superpower at that time, Egypt, and their proud leader, Pharaoh, who opposed God and God and God sends plague after plague until finally his people are rescued as they cross through the Red Sea on dry ground. Why did God do all this in Exodus? What is God up to? Exodus 9:16, God tells Pharaoh, "This is the purpose I have raised you up for, to show my power, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This shows God's great power and His great name that He is the only one. He is the only thing worthy of worship in all of the world. No other gods. He is the true and living God worthy of our worship. This is what God is doing and showing us even today in the Exodus. After God saves His people, He draws them out into the wilderness. He provides for them and He provides instructions, laws for them so that they can be guided in their relationship together. And then he calls their leader, Moses, up to Mount Sinai. And this is where we're at in the story today. God has been giving instructions to Moses for the people so that they can live their lives together. God dwelling with his people. God's giving Moses instructions on the top of the mountain. But a very different scene begins to take place below. And this is where we are today. Let's look at chapter 2, chapter 32, starting in verse 1. If you are able, please stand and read with me in honor of God's Word. Starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed them, handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to Party and indulge in revelry. The very words of God. You may be seated. The passage we just read from describes one of the greatest sins in between the Garden of Eden and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You see, what the Israelites had done was pretty much like a fiancé cheating on their fiancé while their fiancé was out getting their wedding present. This was the height of betrayal. Because Israel had seen the greatness of God and His love for them in the exodus from Egypt. They had crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. They had been spared in the Passover. And 
God had provided for them. God had revealed Himself to them in power and glory on Mount Sinai with lightning and thunder and fire and smoke. And God gave them His good, right, and true commandments. Starting with the Ten Commandments that were going to guide their relationship together, God and His people. And they were, these commandments were going to lead them into His blessing. And the first two of these commandments... One, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And these laws are the foundation to the other laws God goes on to give them in the rest of the Exodus narrative. And after receiving these laws, the people... We even went through this a few weeks ago. They respond to God. In Exodus 24.3, it says that when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice and they declared, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. They pledged to God that they would be loyal to Him. We now see that they were pretty overconfident, don't you think, (laughs) in their own abilities. But how often is this what we do? We have misplaced confidence in ourselves, in our ability, especially in our area where many of us are well-educated, well-resourced. We think, we got this. Our spirit is often willing, but our our flesh is weak. And so was the Israelites. We see here they have committed great sins. And you probably know one of the iconic scenes that follows this incident, made famous in the movie The Ten Commandments by Charlton Heston, where Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf. And he has the law of God in stone tablets written, the law of God written on these tablets by God himself. And he sees their idolatry and he sees the calf and the dancing and his anger burned and he threw down the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And what I want us to see is the breaking of these tablets is a visual image of how the people have treated God. And his law. This is how they've treated the God who saved them. And this is how they've treated the very law they said they would keep. They have rebelled against God in disobedience and sin. But before we label them as the worst of all sinners because of their foolishness, and no doubt all sin is foolish and irrational. But before we label them the worst of all kinds of people, let's ask, what seemed to provoke them to such rebellion? What led them to do the opposite of what they said they would do? Let's look back at verse 1 in Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron saying, come on. They said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. 
They saw, they saw how long it was taking Moses, and maybe they started to doubt. Maybe they started to get afraid. They started to fear. Maybe they thought to themselves, I guess he's not coming back. Maybe God, he's brought us here, but maybe he's abandoned us. I guess it's up to us to figure this out. They were not sure if they could trust God. Or maybe they were not sure if they were worthy of his care. There was doubt and fear. And fear and doubt are not necessarily sins. But we need to be careful because if we don't take our fears and doubts to God so that he can soothe them, we very quickly look for something else too. We start to manipulate and take matters into our own hands. And as for the Israelites, though they had been taken out of Egypt, they still had a lot of Egypt left in them. And they reached for what they had seen before in Egypt. The Egyptians had made gods out of animals, and they were prosperous, right? It it, it seemed to be working out for them. They reached for what they could see and grasp and know instead of trusting and waiting for the Lord. And again, how often is this our struggle? When we wake up on Thursday morning and the pressure of our responsibilities starts to weigh on us, do we take that weight and those responsibilities, do we take it to God or do we turn to something else? On Tuesday morning, when we get that email or that text from that person that frustrates us, do we go to God or do we start to take matters into our own hands and start to manufacture and manipulate our own solutions with the convenient means available to us? When we hit roadblocks in our life for one reason or another and our circumstances get more difficult and it seems like we're not getting what we want out of life, we may say, we may say, I trust God. But in our hearts, do we question His timing and feel like we have to start taking matters into our own hands? And again, we don't turn to idols of golden calves, but we turn to what the solutions we can see that can give us immediate gratification. We turn to idols of control and comfort. We doubt God will come through for us, so we got to replace Him with something that will give us immediate results. And often we, we do turn to things that in and of themselves, they're good things. But we turn these good things into God things. We make idols of self-reliance or lust or comfort or achievement or relationships. And these idols might make us feel better in the moment. Just as the Israelites, verse 6, it says they they were having a party. They ate and drank and they got up to indulge in revelry. But friends, what we need to remember this morning is our idols always over-promise and under deliver. Instead, we need to take our doubt and fear to God and ask Him to help us trust in Him and His timing 
When the pressure or anxiety or doubt or fear hits us, we need to take it to God like the man who cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Even as we look at the week ahead, we all wrestle with our fear and doubt, anxiety, pressure. And if we're tempted, we can quickly turn to those idols of control and comfort to cope. We quickly go to those things we can see and control and manipulate, and we try to hedge our bets against the future regret. And we can start to forget that God is real. And He loves us. And He has not abandoned us. And His faithfulness overcomes our failures and weaknesses. That is what we need to remember. And that is the hope we're reminded of even in this text. In Exodus 32, even though they had broken the terms of the covenant agreement, they said they would keep, they had broken their promise to God. But the good news this morning is God, even though they broke their promises To him, God does not break his promises to them. Their faithlessness does not cancel out God's faithfulness. God's great faithfulness outshines their great failure, even in this text. In Exodus 32, I want us to see three key truths in God's response to their sin. Number one, God's anger against sin and idolatry is real. We see this in his initial response to Moses in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10. But what I want you all to notice is God is not a capricious, short-tempered stepfather. God's anger against sin and idolatry, it's a settled thing. As a good and loving creator who hates what is evil, it's good. Number one, God's anger against sin and idolatry is real. And number two, God's judgment against sin and idolatry is real. We see this later in Exodus 32 that many died because of their sin. And we know the Bible tells us what sin leads to is death. The wages of sin is death. This is true. And we need to remember these sobering realities. But... But there's an even greater reality here. Three, God's judgment is always paired with mercy. God's judgment is always paired with mercy. Let's look at this. Israel had violated their covenant agreement with God. They had cheated on God while he was out getting their wedding present. And God justly could have done away with them. But in Exodus 32, what we see is Moses pleading with God on behalf of the people by reminding him, remind, Moses reminds God of who he is, his name, and he reminds God of the promises God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Israel's descendants. Moses says in thirty-two thirteen, God, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. And then God's response in verse 14, it says that, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. That's God showing his mercy. The Israelites are not getting the full judgment 
they deserve. And as I meditated on these verses, I just see here such the beauty and the glory of God on display. Because it wasn't like God needed Moses to remind him of his promises because he had forgot. He's God. He knew. But instead, what I I think God is doing here is he's contrasting himself with the people. God is not like us. And that's a good thing. Because even though the people of Israel broke their word and were unfaithful, God does not repay unfaithfulness with unfaithfulness. Instead, he remains faithful despite their unfaithfulness. God was within his rights to say, I'm done with you since I guess you're done with me and you got that really nice, you know, golden calf. I hope that works out for you. Doubt it. You know, God could have done that, but that is not our merciful and faithful God. God doesn't break his word like the people did. He is not like human beings. He keeps his word even when it's not convenient. This is God showing us that he is who he's about to tell Moses he is in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He is just and does not leave sin unpunished, but he shows greater love and mercy. This is what we need to remember when we're tempted to soothe our fears by running away from God to idols. Even when we screw up, God is saying, I'm faithful even when you're faithless. I'm merciful and compassionate. I have something better for you than your idols. You are safe and secure with me. This is the God we need to rest in as we wrestle with the week ahead and an uncertain future. And even greater in this passage, we see something else. We see God's mercy on display, but we also see the pattern of God working through an intercessor. The people deserve to be destroyed and separated from God. But God uses Moses as an intercessor in their place, pleading in their place. That's what an intercessor does. He pleads in someone's place. And friends, the bad news this morning is we too deserve judgment as the Israelites did for our idolatry and sin and rebellion against God. But God has been faithful to provide an even better intercessor for us today. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. In Exodus, it tells us that God spoke with Moses as a man speaks to his friend. But the even better intercessor, Jesus, our intercessor, spoke with God, not merely as a friend, but as the only Son of God from the Father. He said, I'll take their place. And we know that Jesus, He came down from heaven and took on human flesh, and He lived the righteous life God demands in our place, free from idolatry. And as Moses threw down the tablets, representing the people's throwing down of God and His law, and as we have all thrown down God and His law in rebellion and sin, and deserve to be thrown down in judgment, but in, in crushed, but the Word tells us that Jesus, in our place, was crushed for our sins. 
Upon Him is the chastisement that brings us peace. By His wounds, we are healed. He exchanged His life for ours. Dying on a cross, He received God's judgment for our sin and rebellion. And then He defeated death and rose again and is alive today, showing that God keeps His promises. He's faithful. And that the door to the new promised land and oneness with God is open to whoever would believe in Him. Even though we are rebellious, weak, idol-making factories, despite ourselves, God has nothing but mercy for those who have trusted in Jesus. And I pray, if you have never trusted in Jesus, if you've been turning to other things for life, I pray today you would stop turning to those other things, replacing God with other things, and you turn to who He has provided, the better intercessor, Jesus Christ. That you put your trust in Him. This is the good news. We are safe and secure in Him. And He offers us something better than all the idols of this world have to offer. For us who have trusted in Christ, as we go into this week, my encouragement for you, and many of you, maybe even right now, you're going through, you're a believer, but you've, maybe you've been going through a dry spiritual season. And maybe that might be connected to an idol in your life. So my encouragement for you is identify your idols. What are those things you might be replacing God with in your life? Where are you tempted to replace God with other things? And where are you going for peace, for refuge instead of God? If you're wondering more of how to maybe identify these idols, I would recommend this book to you, Gospel Treason, Betraying the Gospel with Hidden Idols. This was a book I read. It's a short book, and it helped me in a dry spiritual season. And one of the things he has you do is go through an x-ray of the heart. And he goes, he walks you through these sorts of questions of, okay, how do I know if I may be turning a good thing into a God thing? And he gives you these questions to think through of, are you maybe, is it making you angry when that thing is threatened? Are you maybe, you know, putting something that you should be going to God for? Here are the questions. You'll sacrifice for it. You'll spend money on it. You'll spend time on it. You'll serve it. You'll perfect it. You'll think about it. If you're thinking about that thing right now, maybe you're, you're putting that thing in the place God should have in your life. Let's do an x-ray of the heart and let's be honest with God and with ourselves. And then let's compare these idols that tempt us to Christ. The one who is faithful to us even when it's not convenient. The one who is faithful to us even when it costs him everything. The one who has a heart full of mercy and compassion. The one who says to us, no matter what we might be going through, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, I can look back on my senior year of high school and there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of decisions I wish I could undo and redo. But really thinking about even the truth in this passage. My unfaithfulness can't be canceled out. It can be canceled out by God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness trumps my unfaithfulness. 
And I can know I'm safe in, in going to Him. The same is true for you. We can look ahead, and even this week, there, there may be some fear. There may be some doubt. We, we know we're weak and sinful, easily drawn to idols. But we can know whatever happens this week, we have a faithful Savior. We can go to, and He, we are safe and secure with Him. We, I pray this week you will think more about Jesus and know you are safe and secure in Him. And even here, this is what church is all about. We can remind each other, through whatever we all may be going through, how great our God is and how faithful He is and how we have all we need in Jesus. We can even fulfill a role similar to what Moses filled for the Israelites. We can pray on behalf of one another. This is our prayer emphasis this month of we can intercede on behalf of each other and intercede on behalf of potential or actual brothers and sisters in Christ, praying that God's mercy would continue to break in in their life. We can help each other loosen our grip on our idols and rest in our faithful God. The great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which we are about to sing, reminds us what we will find when we rest in God. This is what we find. And compare this with what we could find in anything else. It says, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. God's own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Let's pray. God, great is your faithfulness. Even when we so quickly are drawn to other things instead of you, you just continue to hold out mercy and love to us. May we turn to you, the faithful God, this week. May we help others turn to you knowing that we have the better intercessor who's even right now in heaven. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us with him all things? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is right now on behalf of us who've trusted in him? Jesus right now is interceding for us. We are safe and secure in Him. Keep us from idols, God, and help us draw nearer to You as You have drawn near to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.